Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Uh, Carla Jo Helms is here with us. Yes. Hello, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. She is our fantastic co-host. And today we'll be talking about uh, the resurgence of experiential marketing with Laurel Mintz. Laurel is the founder of the marketing agency Elevate My Brand. Um, her favorite saying here is F-I-O-G-I-D, which is figure it out, get it done. Uh, she sits on the board of directors for the network uh, for teaching entrepreneurship in the UCLA restaurant conference. She's a mentor for the Women's Global Leaders Initiative, a partner to Women's Founders Network, and advises Los Angeles Venture Association. Laura also writes a weekly Inc. magazine column titled On Brand, and her published work can be found in Entrepreneur, USA Today, the American Marketing Association, and C-Suite Quarterly Magazine. Laurel, excited to have you on today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Laurel, I just have to ask you a quick question. When you say your favorite saying is figure it out, get it done, and you have an acronym, do you shorten that to FIOGID? <laughs> we haven't to date, but we might. I actually like that. I've never had anyone ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, my first thought was you got to throw the it out. Uh, so just be F O G D. Because <laughs> I couldn't, I was trying to figure out how to read it. F I O G I. I'm going to okay. get some letters wrong. <laughs> get it done. We can just shorten it to that, right? Get it done. Get the F out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> Get the F and the I and the O and just get it done. <laughs> Very nice. So today's topic, experiential marketing uh, events, both online, offline, field marketing, all that kind of good stuff. Do you want to uh, jump right into it here, Laurel? Tell us kind of an explanation of what um, experiential marketing is. Sure. So experiential marketing in its most simplest term is anything that's happening offline. Um you know, we went so far to the left of digital that now people are, brands are recognizing that touching their customer in real life is critical. And that's why we're seeing this huge resurgence, both in terms of the actual activations, as well as in um, the budgets, thank God, that we're getting to actually do the activations, which is awesome. Budget's always important. Yeah. Yeah. Money's good. Money's good. <laughs> So that's funny. We were talking about this um, in in the last episode. Uh, we we're talking a bit about the. Or I'm not sure if it was a la- I don't know a recent episode um, about creating offline events and how important that's becoming for brands to to create events that are somehow connected to their products. So it seems like this is a bit of an extension of that into the actual event itself. Um, and I think that's uh, part of where your expertise lies, right? Is in is in this uh, event experiential marketing type stuff. Yeah, and it's really everything from intimate networking events for C-suite executives, all the way up to large scale executions for um, you know global brands that are doing national and global field marketing. So it's there's a huge range of uh, types of events that fall under that category. So you might have uh, I did a dinner with Oracle the other night, and there was maybe you know thirty executives there. Um, and then you could have a whole traveling show, I guess you see these companies that have the tour bus and they have all their branding on the side and they take it across the countries or across the country. And then maybe you'd have, uh, the individual large events type thing. Yeah. I think there's kind of a blend happening between the title of event marketing and experiential. Um, I think most people on the marketing side would argue that experiential has to be something that's um, more engaging. So something that's encouraging the um, attendee to take some sort of action around the brand um, or the, the product. 
But I think it's all kind of blending together at this point in my mind. Great. So let's jump back really quick to you and, and your company and what you do there and, and your history. Uh, how did you end up, uh, how did you get into this this type of marketing? And uh, sorry, I'm re- reaching for it, Elevate My Brand Company. Where, where did that all start out? <laughs> uh, actually, I started out as a corporate M&A attorney. Um, I don't even know if I mentioned that to you guys, but I was at a big firm in San Francisco. My dad actually ended up getting sick. I had to take over his business, which was um, the Bassett Furniture brand, which is a large national chain. So I took over his interest in the company for about three years. When he got healthy and stepped back in, I stepped away, went after those big law firm jobs. And you know when you just have like that, a negative visceral reaction to something where the universe is clearly telling you that that's not your path anymore? That happened to you. I think I've seen this movie in Mergers <laughs> yeah. and Acquisitions where eventually it just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what happened. I realized that I was truly an entrepreneur and that something that I thought had kind of derailed my partner track was actually putting me on the path I was supposed to be on. And um, I have both the JD and the MBA and the MBA is in marketing. And so I just kind of started schmoozing and connecting with people. And really, that's all great marketing is, is understanding people's pain points and how to solve those and telling a really important and strong narrative. And so started onboarding um clients kind of at random. And I woke up about a year later and was, oh, I was like, oh my gosh, if this is something I'm going to do, I need to play a bigger game. And that's when I did all my incorporations and all my own branding work and started hiring. And that will be a decade in February. I cannot even believe that. Wow, that's fantastic. So what's your day to day there at the the company? Are you running individual campaigns? Or are you just are you overseeing everybody? What's uh, what do you do on a regular basis? Um, well, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a great team that does a lot of the execution, most of the execution. So at this point, um, my main focus is really on the business development side and continuing to build relationships and expanding on those relationships with our existing, uh, and former clients. So I'm really lucky. I get to do a lot of these kinds of conversations. I do a lot of, uh, media. I do a lot of speaking. Um, and I do a lot of, uh, a lot of the schmooze and booze, which is where I love to be. It's all about connecting for me. Right. Branding of your brand kind of. <laughs> exactly. Being the favorite. Yeah. That's really what a CEO should be and a founder should be doing. How much of your, um, the work in your agency today is spent on experiential marketing? Oh, that's a good question. I think Probably around 30% of our work is experiential. It's usually a project on its own for a brand or it's tied in with a larger agency of record contract. Um, But yeah, I'd say about maybe 30 to 40%. Like I said, people are really reaching back into experiential and realizing that if they talk to their customers in real life or IRL, they can actually get really great feedback about how to move their own brands forward and they can get great um, videography and photographic coverage that they can then use in a digital capacity. So I think people are understanding that they can evolve past what just an event used to be. Yeah, you can really use those hard events and further marketing and PR collateral. I think that is actually brilliant. Right. So you're you're getting all this content from the event itself, not just the, the actual event um, interaction, but then you have all this content you're creating at the event, imagery, all that kind of stuff to, to continue to spread around social media and, and whatnot. Exactly. And if you sell it like that or you pitch it like that to the brands, um, this kind of antiquated perspective of that an event was kind of a waste of money because it was just a one and done situation can be um, can be dealt with or can be, you know, the, the pushback can be contrasted with the idea that we can make this content live almost evergreen on social or through uh, email blasts or, um, you know, even as imagery on the website. So there's a much 
uh, wider longevity to the kind of content you can get at these events. That's interesting. I I started a company in the early 2000s and uh, and then later failed at it, but it was very experiential marketing and this it just clicked in my mind. Oh, I have I guess I have experience in this. I I don't think I knew the word at the time, but I used to do photography. Mm-hmm. And I started a company where we would do event photography and then for the sponsors of the events, we we go around shoot the events, shoot the people and then post all the images online branded for the uh, uh, for the sponsors. And we found that they really liked that. I just couldn't figure out how to make it work myself. It was pre-Facebook, pre a lot of social media. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, venues to push it out there. But I you know, I, I see what you're saying is with this kind of experiential marketing, you, you can you can take that and brand it and have it continue to live on kind of in the in a way that I, I probably should have gone with that company and <laughs> and then you, you keep getting value for it throughout time kind of. Now, do you mostly do B2B and B2C? Which one do you do more of when you're doing experiential marketing? Um, it's pretty, it's a pretty um, blended mix, really. A lot of our events for clients like um, Zendesk and Sprinkler and even Verizon Digital Media, which are on the large SaaS um, tech side, those are really focused on both internal. So we did, for example, the big sales kickoff for um, Verizon Digital because they wanted to inspire their team. And it was this really great campaign that we executed executed for them. But then we're also doing national field marketing for those kinds of brands where they're talking directly to their C-suite level customers and using it as a, as a you know, t- um, touch point to close business. So it's... Um, I would say for the tech brands, I would say it's mostly um, B2B. And then for the consumer packaged goods, CPG brands, um, you know, our skincare lines, our plush toys, categories, right. things like that, that's more end consumer focused. And that's also oh. infinitely more measurable in terms of, um, of metrics, in terms of success and KPIs. Yeah, B2C definitely has those metrics. Um, you know, Sky, when you had your foray into it, was it mostly B2C? Uh, yes, I would say it was. I can't think of a single B2B company that, that we were working with, but I was very amateur at the time. It was, it was quite a while ago and I, I, you know, really it didn't work out cause I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't right. go after and how to market or curious. anything. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of so I wouldn't use me as my failure as an example. Now, can I ask another question just on the B2B? Because you said, you know, B2C is way more trackable and measurable. And that's really has been the case in many of the podcasts that we've done. How do you figure out the metrics or how you're going to measure the ROI of your event for a B2B uh, company or a B2B event? It's a great question. Um, and I would say one of the first things we do is we sit down with the client and we talk about what is what does success look like for them? Like what are those key performance metrics that they're actually looking at? And what is the baseline that we're starting from? I think a lot of brands, and we've totally done this ourselves when we were more of a nascent agency, was that we get really excited about executing and you forget to create those baselines so that no one really knows if something was successful. They're like, oh, it was a great visual campaign. We got some great content, but what was the end result, right? So one of the first things in terms of defining those metrics is literally just having that conversation. You know, what has been done historically in this space? What has worked? What hasn't? Um, what has the conversion been, for example, on a Zendesk event? If you invited 50 people to a private private event, how many of those historically turned into customers so that we can then, tr- and over what time, right? Because timeline, longevity of client of the 
um, sales cycle is also really important to understand. So you have to create right. that baseline and move forward from there. So whether it's it's got to be attendees, um, conversion within a six to 12 month period, the scale and size of the piece of business that closed. I mean, there's a number of different types of metrics. And then of course, if we're taking content from those events and playing with those online, that's really a lot more trackable as well. So engagement on social channels, open rates on newsletters, um, hits to web, things like that. Right. I get it. I suppose just looking at my experience with uh, the Oracle event I went to just recently, I got a call from them today saying, hey, we'd like to set up a, a, a call with you guys to talk about our cloud service. And I said, great. And we scheduled a, a call for next week. And so I guess when you're having the B2B events, you're probably, you know, you're collecting the information on the people there. It isn't so much a, a street fair probably um, where people are just wandering, but you have to have some sort of call to action there that collects their info so that you can then follow up. And that's, I suppose, how you would track would be through your CRM and kind of the fact that you market as a lead from that event kind of a thing. Yeah. And they need to be tracking that on their end, right? Like new calls that come in, um, leads and conversions, they have to be tracking on the client side. It's one of the hardest conversations in B2B because they don't want to be held as accountable as you want to hold them accountable, but then they want to hold you as accountable as humanly possible. So it's got to be, you know, a a cohesive conversation where everyone's um, on the same path. Are you talking about like an inbound call from an, and maybe the person was at an event and the the person on the company side asking, hey, where'd you hear about us from type of a thing? Exactly. And it sounds so simple, but I'm, I'm you know, we have clients that are on the private equity side, um, service like on uh, a, a big accounting firms and agencies. And it's just shocking to me how few of them actually ask that question. And it's the easiest question that can prove, um, you know, our pudding basically. Yeah. It sounds simple, but try asking your inbound people to do it and see how often it happens. You got to have buy-in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's simple to put in the in the playbook, but difficult to get them to carry out. Yeah, they always seem to forget yeah. that one. Yeah, absolutely. So, a starting off question, just a, a basic um, experiential marketing question: Is there a particular type of company looking at B two B here that um, that should be using experiential marketing or shouldn't be using experiential marketing? Like when when should people be looking at their company and saying, "Oh, this is something we need to be doing." Well, obviously, as an agency, I feel all brands have um, value in creating events. Um, But it depends on, again, what those end results are that you're looking for. So if you are, you know, a large SaaS tech company, and you're looking to convert large brands to the platform, I'm referencing, again, the same brands I just mentioned, then touching those customers and making them feel really important, because you know that your competitors are doing that is really, really critical. Starting out brands, um, I would say, it's important to do experiential events so that you can get feedback on your pro- on your products and services from your clients and you can have real conversations. So I think events can be really helpful in terms of conversion for business uh, and for revenue, but it's also important in early stages so that you can get real-time feedback so that you can iterate on your product or service and make sure that you're developing, developing it the way that your end consumer wants to consume it. So I don't think there's any perfect stage of business. Obviously, you have to have um, enough budget to play with to do that, but you can do small events that are cocktail scale for a couple thousand dollars and still get really great content and really great feedback. So I really believe, and I walk this talk myself, we do events for our our agency, that events of any scale or size have value as long as you um, you create a platform that allows you to learn constantly. Right. So you're not just getting the sales. Yeah, it's like a real-time focus group. Exactly. 
constant market research gathering. Exactly. One of the things I jotted down while you were talking was a, a high product value, maybe not high, but it occurs to me if you're going to pay for an event, you have to be able to get an ROI, you know, whether it's from information, whatever it is, if your product is, you know, a $5 widget, it, it might not be something, you know, certain types of events might be very difficult to experiential marketing to, to make profitable for you or make sensible kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really dependent on the, the vertical that you're in, the product that you're creating, the service you're offering. There are so many different, um, factors that go into that conversation. So I think before you spend a lot of money, it's important to have a conversation with an agency just to see where you fall in the life cycle to determine whether that's a good use of budget at that time. Yeah. And then I think if you look back at episode 27 here of the If You Market podcast, um, it, it this is uh, that that's the episode that really connects, I think, with this subject matter. Um, it's difficult to market products. Uh, we talked a lot in that episode about when your product itself isn't very exciting or it's difficult to market for one reason or another, having this sort of a thing, having some sort of experiential marketing that way the marketing team can market the event rather than marketing, you know, your toilet paper or whatever the boring product is. Yeah. And then people are having more and more fun with boring products than ever before. I think people understand they have to break through the noise, both in a digital and an offline capacity. So you can make toilet paper fun. You can make anything fun. Toilet paper is perfect. You just have to rent a space that has trees and you can TP them. And that's, everybody loves doing that. I love it. (laughs) You could totally make toilet paper fun. I have a question for Laurel. What is, two questions. What is the most outrageous experiential marketing campaign that you've done to date? And also, what would you say is the one of the most um, considered maybe boring or not that outrageous, but got really good results? Great question. So um, the first, I think, was um, for the Paw Patrol brand. I don't know if you guys have kids, but the Paw Patrol brand is a Nickelodeon brand. It's pretty prolific in the parental universe. And um, we were hired by them. Very familiar with it. Yeah, I can sing the song, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, most people that have kids know the brand. Um, so they uh, hired us to do a national tour for them across four months and 22 cities, U.S. and Canada. And what we did for that campaign was we gutted an 18-wheeler and we did this crazy build-out where parents and kids could interact with their favorite characters come to life. They could play the game within the context of that 18-wheeler. There was face painting and there was a nonprofit partnership with Real Life Animals. And um, it went around and toured all these different um stadium locations and uh, local fairs. And we got incredible results from it. But the build out on that was like a million dollars just for the truck. It was insane. So it was a very successful campaign, but that was large scale and large in terms of the execution. It was a four month, 22 city campaign. So that was a big, big deal. Um, And they were extremely happy there. Their main KPI on that was conversion to their database because they hadn't had any significant uptick in that in some time. And we increased their database by 32% in a four month time period, which was insane. So very proud of that campaign. You know, that is cha-ching, you know, (laughs) increasing your database is gold. It's a gold mine. Yeah. I say it exactly that way all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose on a, a program that big, they'd also be seeing probably a, a bump in viewership, a bump in product sales, exactly. um, you know, all kinds of measurable metrics. It's not such a small event that it, you know, they can't see, hey, we had a we had a jump here and we can probably attribute it to this. Yeah, I mean the metrics on social were huge. We had a, a big budget for um 
for media buys as well. So there was a ton happening in the P- on the PR side, all of which contributed to the success of that campaign for sure. And then the offline content, I'm sure they got from it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's still on a lot of their sites um, currently. And then to answer, to answer the other question, I keep coming back to the Zendesk brand, which is customer service software, which is really pretty boring when you think about it. And they um, asked us to do a C-suite level networking event, we brought in a company that was a client of ours at the time called Late Night Art. And they do these crazy cool immersive art experiences where they create these beautiful king's tables with all these art supplies. And they have these call outs that encourages everyone in the room to connect through art. Really unique. I'm definitely not doing it justice describing it this way. But um, it was an incredible connectivity event. People were there. They showed up. They had no idea. It was a whisper campaign. It was kind of like, come unleash your inner child. And we got some of the, the biggest um, CMOs or uh, uh, product officers in that room. And at the end of this experience, they were ripping the pages off of the table and taking them home and framing them. And they were so excited about the experience because everyone says, I know I, I say, I can't draw a straight line to save my life, but to connect through art and to allow you to revert back to that childlike wonder was pretty incredible. So it was a really boring product, no offense. Um, typically could have been a really boring schmooze and booze, but we ended up really making something pretty fantastic from it. And on top of that, when you talk about the um you know, the content afterward, it's not just content that, that the company that Zendesk can put online, but all of these people took that artwork home. And every time they see it now, they're going to think about the sponsor and possibly every time they see bad artwork, they're going to think about the sponsor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a really big win for us. And we, we engaged we were engaged in another five event contract after that one because of the success. That's great. That is great. Thank you. I liked those. Yeah, can you give some general tips for people looking to do experiential marketing? Maybe whether it's the type of events to get your feet wet in this uh, in this type of marketing, or if they're already doing it, some some do's and don'ts, that kind of stuff. Um, I think you know it's it's got to come back to planning. So make sure you've got enough time to execute, whether it's a large or a small event, back into at least a six to maybe twelve month timeline, depending on the size and scale of the event. I can't tell you how many times clients come to us and they're like, we want to do an event in two months for 500 people. And um, I'm telling, have to say no to them. You know, they, they just don't get that. That's not going to be successful for them. Yeah. We call that too little, too late in the PR world. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) (laughs) F-I-O-G-I-D, not with us. Um, so yeah, I think timing is number one. Budget is obviously number two so that you can understand what is actually um, able to be done within that budget because people always have bigger, more lofty dreams than their budgets will allow oftentimes. So just being realistic about what a $10,000 budget will do versus a $100,000 budget versus a million dollar budget um, and working backwards into those numbers. If you don't have a budget in mind for an event, you're not ready to have a conversation about an event yet. That's And I say that across the board for digital and experiential. So I would say those are the two main tips, um, timing and budget. Know your budget first. That's great. Because then, like you said, you, you have to be able to help them on what they can build out. Yeah, I can't tell you how many clients come to us and they're like, well, how much is this going to cost? And I go, no, no, I'm not going to have that conversation. You tell me what you're willing to spend and then I'll tell you what you can have in that space. And they're like, oh, okay, well, uh, let's get back to you. And then crickets and they never get back to you. It's like... Do you ever ask them if they just have a blank check? Like, <laughs> oh, what's it going to cost? I don't know, $20 million? Yeah, I mean, I do definitely joke. And I also give them a range. I'm like, well, does 
Does 50,000 to 70, 80,000 scare you? Does 100,000 to 200,000 scare you? If you give them a range, you can kind of picture, you can see their face when they respond to something. And when you hit that, that soft spot, you can kind of understand where they're going to fall. How often do you have people saying, what's your minimum? Um, less now than we used to because we've been doing it for so long. But, um, you know, I'm really transparent about our numbers. I don't shy away from the budget conversation. I think it's a, a, a failure for a lot of agencies. They get shy about the money, but you got to have the money to play the right way. So you better be able to have that conversation without, you know, being, being fearful of it. Yeah. That's really just part of pre-qualifying your prospect, right? Exactly. Right. And then my follow-up question when people ask the minimum, how quickly do they hear, hear a dial tone from you? <laughs> I'm very kind. I always respond nicely. Um, and then if they balk at the price, then I say, you know what? I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm always here to help um, both emerging brands and established companies really understand how marketing can work for them. And a lot of times those brands will circle back. Right. Yeah, well, I would think if yep. you have an emerging brand and they're going to do some events, they're really going to be particular on the ROI from it so they can expand and increase that budget for events. That's exactly I would think that um, in today's day and age, what you're saying, you know, so many people are offline, they're realizing the need to, I mean, so many people are online, they're, you know, realizing the need to connect. Um, I would imagine that um, that's really important for them to really lay out what they need to get out from it in order Absolutely. to increase. And we have that conversation all the time. And actually on our website, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, there are two options. One is like a nine steps to marketing so that if people aren't ready, they can at least understand those pieces. And on the left side is ready to get started. And it asks all the specific questions that they need to answer before they're ready to jump in. So I would say, that's usually where we send them, elevatemybrand.com, so that they can understand if they're ready. Excellent. Now, I know you have a hard out and you have to go in just a minute here, Laurel. I have one oh, last question for so you. Fast. I'm so I sorry. Know it flies by. <laughs> one last question. Let's say somebody does have that. They want to get their feet wet. They want to do something minimum. What would you suggest and what kind of budget you think they'd be looking at to um, to do something, just anything in experiential marketing? Even if it's, hey, you can do this for free using time and energy just to get yourself uh, you know, you know, working in that area. Yeah, I would say sponsorship is probably the right first step so that they can at least test the market or the space before they spend any major dollars. So for example, if you're trying to, if you decide you're going to do experiential and do a booth at a big trade show, go walk the show first, spend the money on the ticket and make sure that's the right audience because otherwise you're going to be spending a lot of money and maybe not getting the kind of return that you want. So um, anything that you're thinking about doing, Go and watch someone else do it first because then at least you'll have the right questions to ask and you'll have a little bit of knowledge that you can base your decision on. Right. So before you buy a booth at Dreamforce, um, you know, send, yeah. a, send a team or at least one person to go walk it and see what it's about and, and yeah. generate there some ideas. There may be a million other people that have the same exact booth setup that you were going to do and it would be a total waste of your money. You might be, you know, just noise. Right, right. Okay, excellent. Well, I think uh, I think we got to wind it down now, uh, Laurel. We want to thank you for for coming on. I've got a handful of things here that I'm going to do shout outs for you on. Um, everybody, check out elevatemybrand.com. That's uh, Laurel Mintz's company. You can look her up on LinkedIn. Um, anything else uh, that that you want to put out for people? Contact information wise. 
No, I think the the website's the best. Um, Elevate My Brand LA on Instagram. We do a lot of fun stuff. I have an awesome team. And I just want to say thank you and shout them out as well before we shut things down. Thank you guys so much. That's so nice. You can find the show notes and more information on Laurel Mints and Elevate My Brand on the uh, ifyoumarket.com website. Also, we're transitioning right now over to ifyoumarkettheywillcome.com. So you can also find us there. Um, I want to uh, thank the listeners. Thank Laurel Mints. Um, thank Carla Joe Helms, our our wonderful co-host for being on here today. Uh, please, everybody, share us on social media. Tell your friends. Give us good reviews. All that kind of good stuff. I'm going to keep asking. Um, and uh, again, on behalf of Carla Joe Helms, the If You Market team, and Laurel Mints of Elevate My Brand, remember, if you market with experiential marketing, they will come. Awesome. Have a good one. Okay. Thank you. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.